Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. You know, Roman Catholicism is a mix of pagan ideas with Christian ideas, and there's enough Christian ideas that even in the midst of the pagan stuff, people can still find the Lord and be believers. And usually what happens when they come to the Lord is they recognize those other influences as being not in sync with what God would have, and so they stay away from that. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian resumes his teaching on Jeremiah chapters 7 through 10. Now here's Pastor Brian. So Mark saw that as the opiate of the people. And that, that kind of thing was, in a sense, it kept the people from ever you know, acting on their part. But that term has come down and it's not used in the context that Marx still uses it or that Marx originally used it, but it's still used today. People will just say it, you know, religion is the opiate of the people. In other words, it's religion just dulls your mind and, you know, you're not thinking about reality and you don't really know what, you're just out of touch. But... Somebody turned it around and said, actually, atheism is the opiate of the people, more so than religion, because atheism tries to convince people that there is no day of judgment. And this is the greatest delusion you could ever come under, that there is no reckoning, that there is no day when people will have to give an account for their sins. Even those people who say that, they oftentimes uh, want to make people give an account for their so-called sins. They want to take revenge on them, and they, they believe that that would be justice to do that. So they, they recognize and insist even that there's a, a place for justice in this, but then they, they fail to see that that transcends life here. It goes on into the next life. And so the, the atheist delusion is that there is no judgment, We just die and we vanish. We go into oblivion and there's nothing beyond that. But again, that creates a massive problem for justice. If there is such a thing as justice, then if Adolf Hitler or Joseph Stalin or any of the other tyrants in history just did what they did, were responsible for the death of untold millions of people, and then they just died and that's the end of it, well, that that creates a serious problem. As well, and and most people, even those who are atheists, would say, no, no, no. Something there's something that had to, you know, they had to to pay up in some way. So, anyway, that's a bit of a tangent. But uh, the the point is, God is saying to them, there's a day of judgment, and if you don't believe me, just think about Shiloh, because it's already come. So. He goes down a little bit further, and in verse 15, he says, I will cast you out of my sight as I have cast out all your brethren, the whole posterity of Ephraim. The reason this is important to remember is, so he's taken him back to Shiloh, which is before, back in the time of the judges and Samuel. But an even closer example is Ephraim. Ephraim is another name for Israel, the northern kingdom. And the northern kingdom 
was carried away by the Assyrians not all that long ago. And so that was an even more fresh example of a judgment that came. So the Lord says, though, to Jeremiah in verse 16, he says, therefore, do not pray for this people, nor lift up a cry or prayer for them, nor make intercession to me, for I will not hear you. Wow. When God says don't pray for somebody, that's... That is really, really serious. So they have gone now, in a sense, they've gone beyond the point of no return. And God knows that all the prayers are are in vain. And so the Lord then says, do you not see what they do in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem? Verse 18, here's what they did. The children gather wood, the fathers kindle the fire, and the women knead dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven. And they pour out drink offerings to other gods that they may provoke me to anger. So they made these offerings and these cakes to the queen of heaven. And the queen of heaven was um, a deity within the Babylonian, you know, their group of gods and goddesses. The queen of heaven was connected to the Babylonian gods and goddesses. And you find that queen of heaven coming up in different places in the ancient writings, and it comes up again here in Jeremiah. But you also find that terminology used in Roman Catholicism. And Roman Catholicism speaks of a queen of heaven as well and actually refers to Mary as the queen of heaven. And this is where we see the pagan influences from the ancient world upon certain aspects of Roman Catholicism. And so according to the scriptures themselves, there is no queen of heaven. Uh, There is the Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Of course, the book of Revelation that we just journeyed through, we saw there that the, you know, the Father is, is there upon the throne, the seven spirits of God, and Jesus Christ, the faithful and true witness. And we always see the, the picture of deity is always the triune God. There is no female deity. There is no such thing as the queen of heaven. And so the whole emphasis on Mary within Catholicism and the focus upon her as being a, a mediator in some sense and ultimately crowned as the queen of heaven, that shows some of the pagan aspects of Roman Catholicism. So, you know, Roman Catholicism is a, is a blend. It's a mix of pagan ideas with Christian ideas. And there's enough Christian ideas that even in the midst of the pagan stuff, people can still find the Lord and be believers. And usually what happens when when they come to the Lord is they recognize those other influences as being not in sync with what God would have. And so they stay away from that. Some don't necessarily get that entirely. And so they lug around this, what I call excess baggage. They're carrying around this excess baggage, ideas that are not really biblical ideas. 
So, as we move on, verse 22, well, verse 21, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, add your burnt offerings to your sacrifices and eat meat, for I did not speak to your fathers or command them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices, but this is what I commanded them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. Walk in all the ways that I have commanded you, and it will be well with you. So, again, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, of course, what happened in the temple? Sacrifices. So they were justifying everything on, we go to the temple, we offer the sacrifices, God says, when I brought your fathers out of Egypt, it wasn't sacrifices that I was primarily concerned with. I called them to obey me. And that's the thing that they obviously were not doing. So he goes on and he's speaking about how since they had come out of Egypt, uh, the Lord had been trying to get their attention and turn their hearts back toward him. So in verse 25, my servants, the prophets, daily rising up early and sending them, yet they did not obey me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. So this has been the history of the people continually resisting the Lord. And verse 31 tells us in even more detail some of the things that they did. They have built the high places of Tophet, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I did not command, nor did it come into my heart. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when it will no more be called Tophet or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. Verse 33, the corpses of this people will be food for the birds of heaven and for the beast of the earth, and no one will frighten them away. So because of this sin, the judgment, this is all just the warning that the judgment is going to come. The Babylonians are going to come and the corpses are going to fill up the valley. Notice though, so the, the burning of the sons and the daughters in the fire. This was a practice that they did, that they imported from the surrounding nations. And they would take the children and they would put them on a flaming hot idol image and they would be burned to death on this. The children of Israel were were doing this. And the Lord says about it, that he did not command it, nor did it ever come into his heart. So the idea of human sacrifice, which was a common idea in the the ancient world, but not only in the ancient world, but even in the Christian era, human sacrifice in different parts of the world was still very much a real thing. If you go down to uh, Mexico and remember the Aztec kingdom there, Human sacrifice is very much a part of the Aztec worship. And so this has been something that has been the case in pagan religions uh, around the world for all time. But God says that that idea never crossed his mind. It never entered his heart. 
And that sheds a little bit of light on Abraham and Isaac. Because remember, God says to Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, and offer him as a, as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. And then, I think most of us know the story, Abraham takes Isaac, they go up onto the mountain, and right at the last moment, the Lord says to Abraham not to slay his son, and then, you know, renews the covenant with him. And it's always struck me as interesting how God says, it, human sacrifice never entered my heart my heart. That means, therefore, that God never intended for Abraham to offer Isaac. But we who know the New Testament, we know that Isaac was a type of Jesus, and Abraham was a type of God the Father. And what was happening there is God was using Abraham and Isaac to act out in real time what he himself would do many centuries later. And for those of you that don't know this, it was on the very same mountain that that happened with Abraham and Isaac that Jesus was crucified 2,000 years later, so or 1,800 years later. So, but, but human sacrifice is something that never entered into God's mind. So this is, this is an abomination to him. And it was Manasseh. Manasseh was the grandfather of Josiah, And remember, Manasseh was, he reigned the longest. He reigned 55 years in Judah. He was the most wicked king of all. He introduced, others did as well, Ahaz and others before them introduced the human sacrifice, but he had instituted it. But then he was led away captive to Assyria, repented, and tried to bring about the reforms, but they didn't stick with the people. And so they were still going on with their human sacrifices. The last time we were in Israel, we were in, um, we were up in the area of Carmel and we were at Megiddo. And in Megiddo, as you go through the ruins, it goes back, because Solomon built that on top of a Canaanite city. It goes back to the Canaanite period and there's this area down there where the child sacrifice took place. And I'll tell you, even today, all these thousands of years later, it is so creepy. You're standing there looking at it and you're just like, wow, that is really, really, it just gave you the, you know, just like, oh gosh, it was just terrible. And so that's what the people were doing. And and of course, we should mention that there's a parallel today, right? I mean, abortion is really a, a parallel thing. And people don't like to hear that, but that just is the fact of the matter. And just as God judged Judah because of these kinds of things, there's no, there's no nation in the world that can continue to disregard God's law, to turn their back on the Lord and expect to go on happily ever after, to go on peacefully. It, that is not the way it works in God's world. And so when we look at even some of the stuff happening today, you know, how much of it is is actually part of a judgment that is coming because of all of these sins. You know, I was thinking about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. You know, she's being hailed as this great champion of women and all of that, and, and she was in some ways. She was an extraordinary woman. She was very brilliant. She did a lot for the cause of women, but I thought, you know, there were some women she did nothing for 
the little baby women in the womb. She actually had them, you know, exterminated. And, and you just wonder, like, how, how do people compartmentalize this? You know, how do you have such passion for, say, the rights of, of a particular group, in her case, the rights of women? That's fine that she had that passion. And, you know, she made that statement, something like, you know, where every major decision is being made, a woman should be there. And, okay, I, I, that's I, I could agree with that almost, most of the time. <laughs> I'm joking. I don't want to get into trouble here. But, but, you know, how do you have such passion and how do you fight for rights on that level and then completely disregard the rights on, a, on another level and to the point of justifying murder? I mean, that's what we're talking about here. And so, but the children of Israel did it and the children of America and the rest of the world do these things. This is part of human history. So moving on to the eighth chapter, which we need to go more quickly. So here in the eighth chapter, it says, at the time says, at that time says the Lord, they shall bring out the bones of the king. So he's talking about the, the judgment that's going to come. They shall bring out the bones of the kings of Judah, the bones of its princes, the bones of its priests, the bones of the prophets, and the bones of the inhabitants of Jerusalem out of their graves. They shall spread them before the sun and the moon and all the host of heaven, which they have loved and which they have served in which they have walked, in which they have sought, in which they have worshipped. They shall not be gathered nor buried. They shall be like refuse on the face of the earth. Then death shall be chosen rather than life by all the residue of those who remain of this evil family. So the judgment is going to be extreme and it's going to be severe. Down in Verse 8, he asks a question, how can you say we are wise? And the law of the Lord is with us. Look, the false pen of the scribe certainly works falsehood. And here in this eighth chapter, the emphasis here is the folly and danger of rejecting God's word. So that's kind of the message of the whole eighth chapter. Um, so the wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord. So what wisdom do they have? And that's a great question. When you reject the word of the Lord, what, what wisdom do you have? When the leaders of people reject the word of the Lord, what wisdom do they have? And we see over and over again, historically, we just see nation after nation after nation rejecting the word of the Lord. And where does everything go? It always goes in the same direction and it always goes south. It always goes bad. Always. There's no example of any people rejecting the word of the Lord and their society actually getting better. It, it is the beginning of the end. And so once you reject the word of the Lord, and that's what they were doing. Verse 11 He's speaking about the, the prophets and the priests. They deal falsely. He says, for they have healed the hurt of the daughter of my people superficially, saying peace, peace, when there is no peace. 
So this was the message of the false prophets. The message of the false prophets was everything's good. It's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. This guy, Jeremiah, he is, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Don't listen to him. And we're going to find as we go through it that that rhetoric just ratchets up more and more and more. And then Jeremiah finds himself in, in much trouble as we go on here. But that was the message of the false prophet was peace. And as Jeremiah said here, it's a superficial healing of the wound. In other words, the wound of the, of the people, speaking metaphorically of their sin, is so severe but these guys are trying to heal it with something superficial. They're not even recognizing the depth of or the seriousness of the problem in the nation. And so over in verse 20, uh, there's an interesting word here. Verse 20, the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. And so this will be the, the end of the people. They will not be saved, but it was their own choosing, really, in the end. So for the hurt of the daughter of my people, I am hurt. I am mourning. Astonishment has taken hold of me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? So the answer is, yes, there's balm in Gilead. Yes, there's a physician there, but because the people don't recognize their need, they won't go for help. That's the, the point that's being made. So chapter nine, oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place for travelers. So remember, this is all pre-invasion. So Jeremiah is seeing from the Lord what's coming, and he's trying to warn the people that this judgment is coming, and this judgment can be averted if they turn to him. And so he's talking about how just the grief that will come upon all. And he's experiencing that himself, that he had a place in the wilderness that he could go and he could hide. And then he speaks and he says, and like their bow, they have bent their tongues for lies. They are not valiant for truth on the earth for they proceed from evil to evil and they do not know me, says the Lord. So, you know, this is the people of God. I think it's important that we remember that because, you know, sometimes we marvel at our own national situation and we think, gosh, you know, the people of America don't know the Lord. Well, the people of Israel didn't know the Lord. <laughs> and I mean, you know, the Lord was their Lord. He was their king and they didn't know him. So it shouldn't be a surprise to us that the people in this nation or other nations do not know the Lord. For the month of September, 
Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, Forgive, Why Should I and How Can I by Timothy Keller. With so much social, cultural, and relational unrest, all of us need to forgive or be forgiven in either small or significant ways. Have you ever found it difficult to forgive someone for a wrong they committed against you? What if that person never apologized? How can you forgive someone who hasn't even acknowledged they have done something wrong? In his book, Forgive, Timothy Keller lays out the path of forgiveness that leads to reconciliation rather than the path of unforgiveness that can lead towards retaliation. You'll learn about the power of forgiveness that can bring freedom both to the one who forgives and the one who has been forgiven. We are living in a time where forgiveness is desperately needed. If you're struggling with forgiveness or even guilt, then you need to get this month's resource from Back to Basics. The book Forgive, Why Should I and How Can I by Timothy Keller is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Jeremiah. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.